And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! Is it a kingdom? Is it a pen? Is it a radio? I don't know. Can I just make more funny noises? Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I am your host, Daniel Thompson, and we are no longer Kingdom Pen Radio. That is not a thing anymore. We are the Very Serious Writing Show. Yeah, that's actually your name. Yes, we're sticking with that. I know, you think that we come up with something better, but yeah, you'll just have to live with it. Hey, but we do have a kitty now. We do have a picture of a cat. It's pretty fabulous. You know, some guy painted that back in the 1800s, and I think it's pretty crackalackin'. Anyway, so yeah, today we've got Steve Raza with us in studio, and he's a pretty fabulous guy. You may notice that this episode is a bit shorter than normal. There's a reason for that. There are going to be two this week. Two episodes. Yeah, what a novel concept, right? Yeah, our a following episode is going to be coming out this Tuesday. It's going to continue on Steve Raza's interview, because he has a lot to say, and it's all great. And we didn't want to cut out any of it for you, but we also didn't want to give you like an hour-long episode. So, shorter episode today, shorter episode tomorrow. Maybe that'll work better for y'all. We'll have to just see. Let me know. Let me know how you like it. Maybe we'll keep it. But we are going to jump right in. Thanks for tuning back in. You are listening to the Very Serious Writing Show. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. Hey everybody, how's it going? I've got today with me Steve Raza. I, wait a minute, is that how you pronounce your name? That's exactly right. It well is done. exactly right. Excellent. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad. That Z throws me off. It's R-Z-A-S-A. Yep. That's I'm, right. I'm so glad I got it right. He is the author of The Word Unleashed, The Word Reclaimed, Broken Sight, Crosswind, Sandstorm, and most recently, this this Bloodheart book. It's great to have you in today. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. I've started reading your book, Crosswind, and it's really interesting. It's a, it's kind of a steampunk um, slash fantasy almost. How would you describe that? I, you know, it's funny. I kind of made up my own label for it when people are asking me because a lot of the folks who I know who are of an older generation, you say steampunk, they have no idea what you're talking about. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So I, kinda, I said the best way to describe it is historical fantasy, okay. I guess, because uh, I did pull a lot of elements from late 19th century history, early 20th century history, and kind of lumped them all together, just took a bunch of the cool stuff that I liked and try to make it all work in one world. Yeah, because you got the biplanes flying around. You have uh, you have the the newspaper, 
and then you have these weird beasts that show up and it's like yes. what that was lots of fun <laughs> yeah i mean fans i decided i decided early on at some point i wanted it to have somewhat of a western feel too mm -hmm. and, but i thought you know people they're always riding on horses and i don't really know much about horses at all because i grew up in suburban new jersey and so there's not a lot of horses in the suburbs yeah so i came up <laughs> with the branters as my own kind of stand-in critter i guess you could say yeah, and the, then I thought, and then I thought to myself, well, they won't really fit in really well with regular things like bulls and goats and sheep and things. And I said, well, why don't we just take a bunch of ice age type creatures and throw them in instead? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great idea because fantasy is almost always set in this this medieval time period. I like seeing the elements outside of the traditional place that they're put. Yeah, and with fantasy, you know, I, I and that was one of the things with the Bloodheart too. Is I'm I tend more towards science fiction than fantasy, and that's mm -hmm. not to say I don't enjoy a good fantasy, but it's always the technology of sci-fi or steampunk that kind of interests me in the world. And with fantasy, I, you can make some argument, I suppose, that there's not as much emphasis on technology because they are they do tend to be at a more medieval level, so your technology is really limited to things like castles or the weaponry or things of that nature. Well, I think there ought to be more fantasy elements in sci-fi, and that we should bring the genres a little bit closer together. Because there's some there's some cool stuff that happens when you do that. Yeah, definitely. So you're you're relatively new to the publishing world. I mean, 2009 was when uh, the word unleashed, or was it the word the word reclaimed? The word reclaimed was your first one in 2009 with um I guess it was March Lord Press back then. But yeah, it's that's Enclave, that. Enclave now being fairly new or newer. <laughs> To, to the publishing genre, what's it like? What's what's the field it's, like? It's been really interesting seeing even how it changed within just these past, well, wow, six years now, I guess. Um, because even when we were starting out with March of Lord Press, ebooks weren't as big a deal as they are now. Mm -hmm. So the emphasis now, I don't want to say the emphasis is on ebooks, but there's definitely more of an emphasis on them now, I think, than even six years ago. And it's been interesting to see that both from a writing standpoint and my job that I work at is at a library. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of watching this from two different sides of the same coin, I guess you could say. Uh, seeing how ebooks both impact library circulation, but also how they are uh, a bigger part now of just publishing any kind of book. I'm not sure myself, you know, when people download and read tons and tons of free books, I'm not sure myself how many of them actually read all of those books. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate it, question. Yeah, I mean, I do see discussions where I see mention of people who download tons and tons of books, hundreds of them, but there's no way they can read all of them. Um, I know I know, I don't read all the books that I download. I've, I've yeah, found some free ones. Some point out of time. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> not enough time in the day, man. I just think it's an interesting phenomenon. And, you know, at our library, we've kind of come to treat it as the ebooks are just another format now that we deal in. Mm -hmm. They're not going to supplant print books, I don't think. And um, they're not going to disappear either. Yeah. But, but it's been interesting talking with some of my coworkers who have been in the library business for 20, 30 years. And they're saying, well, you know, people had this reaction when books on CD came out. 
Mm-hmm. They were saying, oh, this new format, this is going to wipe out books because everybody's just going to listen to them. But that didn't happen either. No, no, that's not a thing. It's interesting. There's some parallels in the music industry. I work at radio. That's been my yeah. job. And uh, everyone's going to MP3s now instead of CDs. But right. oddly enough, vinyl's coming back in a big way. I, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. And I thought that was kind of interesting, too. There was a study somewhere. I don't, I'm going to say either maybe New York Times or Wall Street Journal where they're interviewed young people who are in college right now mm-hmm. and college right now are in college. So along your demographic lines and they found that a lot of the folks who are in college now still prefer uh, hardcover or paperback textbooks. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're like, well, we just like the feel of them since everything else we have is electronic oriented. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have this uh, physical aspect of it. It definitely is. I I agree with that as a college student. I wouldn't want an ebook. I tried it once. It didn't. It wasn't good. Um, <laughs> so what have been, what have some of your struggles been in the publishing field? Has it been? What's well, it been like? Well, I was actually talking with another author about this just the other day, and the main struggle is that sometimes it feels like when you come out with a new book, and especially since we're, you can say we're smaller authors on mm-hmm. the list, a lot of the other ones out there. Uh, the big struggle is to get the notice out and the, uh, I don't want to say hype, but PR, advertising, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. word out about that new book. And a lot of times it feels like you're starting from scratch with each one you do. Really? In terms of, just in terms of, not necessarily in terms of who notices it, because you're as you write more and more, more people are drawn into your uh, list, I guess you could say. And so you have people who were there watching for your books who weren't before. But I think it feels like you're going through kind of the same process from the beginning of each book. Hmm. And you're putting it out there and then you're kind of waiting to see, who, you know, what the sales are like. And you're thinking, man, didn't I just do this two years ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So, and I think secretly we're all waiting for that one book that, like, you know, Stephen King will pick up and say, oh, hey, wow, this is great. You should read this book. And then <laughs> boom, just blows up from there. It's not that easy, though. No, no, it usually isn't. Um, but I think statistic-wise, a lot of us in our that I know of in our Enclave group and, you know, former Archer Loaded Press group are doing fairly well, especially considering that, and I, I can't quote any of the numbers right now, but you read numbers about how the vast majority of authors never sell past a certain point, mm-hmm. don't earn out past a certain point or whatever. So I think we're doing, I think we're doing pretty good for a still relatively new small publishing house. Yeah, and you and you you're not a full time writer. You do the librarian, and you were you're a reporter. Oh, yeah. So you so you you write really fast. What's kind of your writing regime like normally? How much time uh, do you spend a week or a day? Well, it's terribly unorganized. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, a lot of writers will say they just write whatever the mood strikes them, but a lot of people say, you know, you really have to stick to a regimen of a certain amount a day. And I'm somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were on vacation a little while back for about two weeks, and during that two weeks, I wrote about, oh, probably about 9,000 words. That's yes. good. Yeah. It is good. Well, and then since then, I've been, you know, doing notes and sketches and fitting those in around work, so it hasn't been nearly as productive. Yeah. It kind of it kind of comes and goes and bursts for me. I can I can have a week where like I can complete a chapter in a week, or I can have two weeks where I write a couple pages. Yeah. So it really is. It's uh, and then there's the added bonus of the fact that I can't keep my brain on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So 
sometimes I'll be writing on one story idea and then like four days later I'll be going, oh wait, I need to write this page or two down for this other story that I'm working on. And yeah, it gets a little crazy sometimes. Now, do you have an outline that you use? Do you make outlines or you see the pants? Used to be seat of the pants mostly. I've done more outlining, uh, mostly actually because I stumbled upon uh, Microsoft OneNote, of all things. I usually write my stuff in Word just because that's what I used when I was writing uh, my newspapers and stuff. And uh, I really kind of liked the feel of OneNote where you could have little text boxes. Yeah. Put down, you know, a part of a chapter or a segment of a story and then slide them around and rearrange them. Then that's been helpful for me in outlining. It's kind of like having a giant board of sticky notes and rearranging those. But if I had sticky notes, I'd know I'd lose them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this way I'm lost in sticky notes because they're all electronic. Yeah, so. I hadn't thought of using OneNote for, for story. I'd use it for some note taking. I, I liked it. But I haven't. And that's what got me onto it too, is I used it for note taking for a work related project and then thought, huh, I should try this for the outlining. And I, I really liked it. Now, do you, are you able to write any while you're at the library? Do they let you do that? or? Well, my lunch break is usually. <laughs> I get a, on about three out, of my, three out of my five days of the week, I get an hour long lunch break. So I'll kind of shovel food in for 10, 15 minutes and read a little bit. And then I'll get down to work for maybe about a half hour. So, so. so when do you do most of your writing? Um, I do most of my writing. Well, actually, I do most of my writing on my lunch breaks. And um, on Wednesdays, actually, I work the evening shift, which is from 12 to 8, as opposed to working from 10 to 6. And so I go in about a half hour early mm. from home and use one of the little study rooms that we have there and write for about a half hour or so there because there's, you know, there's no distractions there versus all the stuff that needs to be done around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, home's a hard place to write. It really is. Oh. I, I hear writers talk about having to find their their place. To, to yeah, and I don't really have a place to hide at home. <laughs> so, you know, well, and, you know, and other times we'll go on a grocery trip to one of the nearby larger towns and I'll write while in the car or when we're on a road trip, I'll do that too. Yeah, there you go. So really my Wednesday morning and lunch breaks are my key, <laughs> key I, writing times. It's pretty cool that you can, you can, you know, get the writing done that you do with that limited amount of time. It is nice. And like I say, the ability to type things fast helps. Yeah. Tremendously. Yeah, that would. Hey, we are going to take a quick break. We have a midsection here that we do. And uh, we will be right back with more right after this. This is VSWS News. Florida police allegedly responded to the report of a male-eating monkey swinging from signposts and raiding residential mailboxes. When the officers arrived, they attempted to distract the monkey with a water bottle. The monkey, later identified as Zeke, responded by assaulting one of the patrol cars, ripping off some of its molding. The monkey was released on bail a week later. DeKalb County Emergency Management Agency issued a warning to residents Saturday afternoon, saying do not eat the cheese you find in the 18-wheeler wreckage on U.S. Highway 11. Residents allegedly responded, saying, you can't tell us what to do. A Maine woman allegedly protested student loan debt by dressing up as a mushroom and attempting a 40-mile walk with her stuffed pink snail. College students everywhere sat back in their chairs and wished they had thought of doing that first. Incidentally, the woman is an author. Police in Rome have issued a warning to a man for allegedly floating down the Tiber River in a Maserati car, outfitted with an open top and outboard motor. 
When questioned, the man allegedly told officers he was trying to make it to Venice. A majority of those polled agree that the Roman police are no fun at all. A Michigan woman allegedly discovered that she had grown a duck-shaped tomato in her garden. Predictably, her husband did not believe her. Upon seeing the tomato in question, he allegedly responded saying it could be a chicken. The woman is still in the process of deciding whether or not she will eat it. A city worker is facing suspension for using his robot voice when answering phone calls with customers, reports say. The worker, Ronald Dillian, is also accused of neglecting customer service assignments and purposefully misdirecting calls. This is the second time he's been caught using this robot voice. Finally, a Seattle woman threatened a fellow bus passenger with a sword, the Kings County Sheriff Department reports. After being bumped by this passenger, the Seattle woman allegedly chased him off the bus, unsheathing an 18-inch long blade from the back of her hoodie. Police later identified her as the same woman who had attacked a store owner with a pair of homemade nunchucks while stealing shampoo several months before. For VSWS News, I'm Daniel Thompson. And we're back. I hope you missed us. I mean, if the segment in the middle was as cheesy as I think it will probably be, I know you missed this stuff. <laughs> we're going We're going to keep talking story. A while back, you, or maybe not a while back, I'm not sure when you published this, but you did. You co-wrote um, a couple with uh, Vox Day. You did, you did kind yes. of a co-writing, and it was a sci-fi murder mystery? It was, yeah, the Quantum Mortis series, I call it. The uh, novel was A Man Disrupted, and then we did a short, well, I guess you could call it a novella, uh, Gravity Kills, which was kind of a sideline to that main novel. And we came out with that in December 2013. New Year's 2014, somewhere right around there. All right, all right, and that's that's a cool name, Quantum Mortis. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really now. What was your co-writing process like? How'd you how'd you well, find it? Well, that was a- interesting because that you know I never had never done anything like that before, and I'm sure you may possibly be aware Vox has somewhat of a reputation. I've <laughs> I've never actually heard of Vox Day until yeah, I saw her. Or He's him. a pretty controversial type of guy, and I didn't realize that from the get-go. But oh, the interesting thing is working with him is that he's—I mean—he's pretty easy to work with. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, having ever, never written anything with someone before. But basically, he had this story world, the bare bones, maybe about twenty-some pages of notes for this uh, fictional sci-fi galaxy. And he sent that over to me and he said, look, I really want to do this kind of murder mystery sci-fi thing. Let's just kind of run with it. Hmm. I said, okay. So I started writing on a thing and had some ideas, you know, wrote a few chapters in and sent them to him. And he kind of wrote, he kind of contacted me a few times and said, okay, I like where we're going with this, but let's change this and alter these things. And so then he would write some on it too. Hmm. And he kind of sent it back to me and I wrote more. And it basically turned out that, you know, I sent it to him in maybe three or four sections, I think. Something like almost 300 pages, I guess. And then in between those times when I would send it to him, he'd get back with me either on the phone or by email. And we'd talk about, okay, well, I like, you know, he'd say stuff like, I'd like where this is going, but let's change this or let's introduce something here and so on and so forth. And so then when it got done, he took what I'd written and rewrote and added two parts of it. Okay. Sent it back to me, you know, expanded stuff. He did a lot of the story world building gotcha. uh, because he had in his mind how he wanted that world to be. He just kind of needed a story to go along with it. Yeah, it, it really kind of divvied up that I provided the framework and he added things onto the framework and fleshed it out and built it up. Okay. 
And so I think it really worked well as a teamwork kind of thing that way. And he sent things back. And it was funny because I was always kind of hesitant or wary when he sent it back and thinking, well, I wonder how this will work out. And he would say things like, well, I really like this scene where you have the bad guy bails out of his flying car because we have flying cars because it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then you have and he goes into this building and you have the good guy bail out of his car and follow him. But I really think what would be better is if the good guy stayed in his car and then just smashed his car through the side of the building in pursuit of the guy. And I said, oh, well, okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Basically, he was all about taking the action things that I'd written and expanding them and making them bigger and more grandiose and ludicrous and just lots of fun. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, if you have action, you want it to be grandiose and because if yeah. it's been done before, why do it again? Exactly. When it comes to action. He was all about pushing it more over the top and I'd have to say I was in favor of that. So, <laughs> Well, that's cool. So would you, would you co-write again? Well, we, you know, I wrote the framework for a second one. Um, he's been busy working on his mega size fantasy novel that he has going on. So we haven't got to back to that, but he does have some notes and stuff that I'm supposed to look over and okay. I'm not sure and exactly we're going to get to do that, but it is down the pipeline eventually. Well, that's cool. How'd you guys run into each other and decide, hey, we just kind of want to co-write? He, he had written stuff for Jeff with Marcher Lord Press. The um, okay. Summa Helvetica was one of the first Marcher Lord Press books. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of set in his fantasy world that he's working in. And towards the end of Marcher Lord Press, before it became Enclave, he had another one, a... Um, a Throne of Bones, big size fantasy novel that came out right around the same time as Quantum Mortis. And so he'd worked with Jeff on occasion. And gotcha. he had been trying to get together folks, let's see if I remember this correctly, to write story world stuff for an online kind of gladiator type game. And Jeff had recommended me to him and I talked with him a little bit about maybe doing that. But then he contacted me and said, well, you know, instead of doing that, maybe I could get you interested in this sci-fi idea. Now, I mean, he, you talked about him using his story world, but you wrote the Crosswind story world, which is freaking legit. That thing is awesome. How did you, how did you develop that? I mean, you talked about how you you wanted something with the technology, but yeah, I I you know it was really a combination of things that I just kind of threw on the wall to see if they'd stick. Mm -hmm. I I love to say there was some grandiose battle plan, but there really wasn't. <laughs> this was the seat of the pants part of the process. Um, I really wanted it to, my overall idea was that I wanted it to have the Victorian slash Wild West feel, but I wanted aircraft in Yeah. And since in the real world, there was about a 50 year difference between biplanes and the Wild West. Well, maybe more like 40 years actually. Mm -hmm. um, so then it was just a matter of figuring out how to shoehorn that stuff together and play around with the technology a little bit. You say Sea of the Pants was kind of the world building. So were you building it as you went with the story? It, just when it came to building the world. Okay. I was kind of throwing things together. And some of the elements I did add as I was going along once I stumbled across them. Um, you know, for, if I needed a piece of technology for something, I'd go hunt around and say, oh, hey, that's really kind of cool. And then I'd modify a little bit and stick it in there. Well, hey, Steve, I've enjoyed talking with you. Um, we are going to catch you again tomorrow. We're going to go on a hiatus and uh, we'll continue the conversation. Catch you then. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. A very serious writing show.